Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans weekly news podcast, where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host, Eleanor Hildebrandt, and I'm here with our co-producers, Meg Doster and Colin Mee. On this week's episode, we have three special guests. We will be chatting with Daily Iowan news reporters Sam Nupp and Arabia Parkey. We will also catch up with senior print editor Rachel Schilke about her coverage of a demonstration for peace in Ukraine held on the Pentecost this week. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, March 4th edition of On the Record. In case you missed anything from last week, the DI's top headlines can be found on our website. This week, the Daily Iowan reported on the University of Iowa's Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity being suspended this week until 2026 after being found responsible for holding events in 2021 that did not comply with Code of Student Life policies. The UI has changed its COVID-19 masking guidance from strongly encouraged to not required but welcome following alterations in CDC guidance. And transgender women and girls are unable to compete in women's and girls' college and high school sports in Iowa under a new law signed by Governor Kim Reynolds on Thursday afternoon. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Iowans print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. News reporter Sam Nupp talked to national and local musicians this week to get their insight on the pandemic's impact on the music industry. Welcome, Sam. We are so excited to have you on this edition of the podcast. How's everything going? Um, I'm really sick, but I'm in a good mood. So, And I my coronavirus test came back negative. So all is well for the most part. Always good to hear. And so who did you talk to for this story and where are the musicians that you spoke with from? So I talked to Jenny Grouse of the A.V. Grouse Band. Uh, she is from Decorah, but the rest of the band is from the Quad Cities. I talked to James Tutson, an Iowa City musician. Michael Leisure, who's who lives out in California and is the drummer in the Walter Trout Band. And then Max Lipnick, another Iowa City musician. Wow, so you got a large swath of people from various different places. That's always good. And so what kind of experiences did these musicians have throughout the pandemic as we, you know, enter another stage? What has it looked like so far for them? So for Jenny Grau, she was the first person I talked to. They had just released their debut album and had a world tour planned, or sorry, a nationwide tour planned, I should say. And suddenly that was all gone. Um, and so then they had to do live streams. And while they ended up losing a lot of potential money, they did end up gaining fans all over the world, specifically in Europe, from those live streams that they played. Um, James Tutson, during the pandemic, started working more on his solo on solo work just because he couldn't get together with the rest of his band. And then also appeared on The Voice in 2021. And then when he said when he came back, it was a bit of an odd experience because he went from you know, being in front of a decent sized crowd to playing in front of smaller crowd sizes. And then he said his first gig back was at a party where he wasn't really wanted. Um, they would, he said that they would have just preferred like regular party music and didn't want a live musician. So it, it was just a bit of a shock for him. And then Michael Leisure, 280 Walter Trout dates got canceled. Or he said they play like 200 to 280 dates a year. And so that's a lot of money out the window. And this year he's going to be playing with Walter Trout for the first time since I think March of 2021 when they recorded an album. But then 
Before that, it was March of 2020. So during that time, he went on a European tour with uh, another musician and then played with local California musicians. Max Lipnick and his band Flash in a Pan didn't, they didn't play a show for all of 2020 and then finally got back to it in 2021. So it was a lot of lost revenue for these musicians and it, it spelled a difficult time for a lot of them. Yeah, definitely a lot of, a lot of changes throughout that period for different groups and different musicians. And so what kind of hopes do these musicians have for the future after seeing everything that has altered or changed in some fashion between 2019 and 2022? So I know all of them are looking ahead to the summer when for musicians, especially local ones, that's when you're going to be playing the the most gigs. Michael Leisure is just about to go on a tour with the Walter Trout Band. Jenny Grouse says they've been playing two shows a week, which has been difficult because they're all full-time musicians and that's their one source of income. Although I know some other band members uh, teach lessons, but Still, those gigs are their main source of income, and so they're hoping to get back to playing three to five gigs a week during the summer. And then James Tutson, who's been doing solo work, he's hoping to get back with with the role, his band James Tutson and the Rollback uh, for the summer and play a bunch of shows with them. And then Max Lipnick, he's now in four different bands um, because the pandemic allowed him to get together with some other musicians who he wouldn't otherwise be able to play with. And then he's looking to, forward to playing an abundance of shows this summer as well. Yeah, well, I all have very big, exciting plans to look forward to. So hopefully we'll be able to cover some of those and see see what's going on in the future. But thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your story with us, Sam. We, we're, we're so lucky to have you on today. Thanks for having me on. Next, we have news reporter Arabia Parkey, who wrote a story on discriminatory housing practices and how it impacts Black islands. Welcome, Arabia. We're excited to have you on the podcast as a guest again today. How has your week been going so far? Yeah, my week's been good. A little hectic, but it's going all right. Well, a little, little hectic is always good. You have stuff to do. And could you explain a little bit to us and to our audience about what redlining is and its history within the state of Iowa? So redlining is the discriminatory practice of denying bank loans or other financial services to residents especially due to like racial demographics. And redlining is now used as a kind of catch-all term to describe other discriminatory housing practices, such as like zoning or other things like that. Iowa City in particular has a history of restrictive deed covenants that restrict sales of certain properties to Black residents. But that practice hasn't been made illegal. And what kind of impact does redlining have in Iowa City specifically in 2022? Yeah, so in 2022, Iowa City still has, still feels the effects of housing practices such as zoning, specifically single family zoning. I was told that Iowa City has 80% of residential land is single family zoning, which limits housing options, especially like cheaper housing options for different individuals and families. And so what challenges do Black Iowans specifically face when it comes to trying to attain these different types of housing? Yeah, so Black Iowans specifically face like financial roadblocks when trying to qualify for mortgages with the way that household credit scores and things like that are calculated. It disadvantages people who come from like generational poverty, things like that, especially when the collective net worth of Black individuals has decreased that affects the spending power of Black people in Iowa and across the nation. 
For sure. And obviously you've explained a lot of the different challenges and issues that come about because of redlining. So what sort of solutions are there to this issue, at least for Iowa and for the specific community of Johnson County, Iowa City at this time? Yeah, so I was told that it is pretty hard to reverse this because of the generational impacts of redlining and different limitations that have been put onto Black families and Black Iowans. But different programs within Iowa City, such as the South District Program, are using government funds to buy duplexes within the South District of Iowa City and rehabilitate them and sell them for cheaper and more affordable prices that still have limitations for Black Iowans, but it is a small step to creating change. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Arabia, and sharing your important story with us and our audience. We can't wait to have you back sometime again this semester. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to being on again. Finally, we have senior print editor Rachel Schilke here to talk about a demonstration for peace in Ukraine that she covered this past weekend. Welcome, Rachel. We're excited to have you on the podcast as a guest today. How has your week been going so far? It's been great. I'm enjoying the warm weather. Yes, it is quite nice outside for once. So could you start by explaining or summarizing what's going on in the Ukraine right now and why there would be a demonstration for peace? Yeah, so basically what's happening right now is that Russia has invaded Ukraine. And this is something that a lot of people will say has been in the works since 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea. And so basically this was a bit of a shock to people, but also to some it was almost not a shock because they assumed it was going to happen eventually. Mm And so right now, Ukrainian people are fighting back against the Russian soldiers. And as of, I think, maybe an hour ago, there's been a lot of talk about how the Russians really haven't made many advancements. So that's kind of what's happening at the present moment. Yeah, as of Wednesday, March 2nd. And so what happened during this specific demonstration within Iowa City regarding what's going on with the Ukraine and Russia right now? Yeah, so the demonstrators showed up, I would say probably within the first 15 minutes of the demonstration, people were filing in, and people were kind of just standing there, and there wasn't really much happening because they weren't sure who organized it, and then came to find out that the organizer was feeling threatened for her safety and her family's safety because she had both Russian and Ukrainian ties, and people who were against Russia were not particularly happy about that, and so for her safety, she decided to step back from the demonstration. So without any organizer, everyone just kind of banded together, started sharing stories. Some different news outlets were there, so they started taking photos, Mm -hmm. videos of people. Then it just got to the point where somebody had a microphone and they just started talking and sharing stories. And a lot of people were willing to talk to me and it was really great. Yeah, definitely sounds quite interesting as if not something that we usually see at demonstrations where there usually is a leader or a group of people leading And so who did you talk to while you were at the demonstration and what did they have to say about this current conflict? A lot of people were just really sad, like especially like a couple of professors that I talked to. One of them was a Russian professor who is Russian and teaches Russian. And then the other one was an adjunct professor a couple of years ago that is from Moscow, but is now living in the United States. Um, And then some people who are from Ukraine or have family still in Ukraine. Everyone was just talking about how sad they were. It didn't matter where they were from or who they really had ties to. Everyone was just wanting peace and the war to end. And, you know, a lot of people are saying how they are trying to contact their family. And some of them are able to do that. Some of them are only able to do that with 
social media. So that was really disheartening to hear. But overall, it was a very sad affair, but it was also very positive. There was a lot of positivity. It was, we want peace. We want people to understand that we want peace. And we just want to bring everybody together so everyone feels comfortable and safe. And so that was probably the main takeaway. Yeah, for sure. It's a very complicated, long historical situation that is kind of coming to fruition in 2022, which is quite interesting. And so obviously, this Ukraine-Russia conflict is not ending as of the beginning of March. So what kind of coverage of this invasion are you and the rest of the Daily Iowan team planning for the weeks moving forward? Yeah, so I'm kind of spearheading the Ukrainian-Russian coverage for the Daily Iowan. Mm -hmm. And right now there's a lot to go through. There's a lot of different angles we can take. And right now, I think my main focus is how it's affecting University of Iowa students and faculty that have Ukrainian and Russian ties. So I've already interviewed a professor. I've already interviewed um, some students. I have more interviews in the works. And I think that'll be kind of the first story that people can expect to see. And then after that, it's just talking to people around the state about how this is going to affect Iowa, how it's going to affect the United States. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, like how this is affecting people who have those ties, because at the end of the day, that's what counts. Yeah, well, definitely something to look out for both in print and online for future publications. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today with us, Rachel, and sharing this really important story with us. Can't wait to have you back sometime soon. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow The Daily Iowan on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest campus and Iowa City related news. Tune in next week for another edition of On the Record.